I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents with travel to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. This nearly 10 years of being a fancy free and footloose black expat woman has spoiled the absolute fuck out of me, especially having lived in the Middle East for so long. It's like, you know, you typically you get recruited to work in X country and you're oriented into the culture and the lifestyle initially through your employer. So you arrive and it's like, here's where you will bank. Here's your housing allowance. Here's your five star accommodation. Here's your medical car. Here's your transportation allowance. Here's your travel allowance. Here is your furniture allowance. Here's your tax free salary. But baby, let me tell you something. Those days are over. My life as an expat has temporarily been nullified now that I live in South Africa as a self-employed person. I am now officially an immigrant. And the thing is, I'm not even new to South Africa in that sense. I've been coming here for five years. I bought property here a few years ago. But living here and having zero sponsorship on a tourist visa which means I have to leave the country every 90 days lest I get deported or into some legal trouble. This is a whole different type of experience. Being an expat and an American one, no less, comes with some serious benefits. Being an immigrant, on the other hand, requires some next level patience because the rule book is not handed to you upon arrival. So this week, my visa, 90-day visa, was actually due to expire. And like per usual, sometimes I just wait until the last minute to do shit. And I quickly had to rally my troop of black women in South Africa to um, help me with facilitating a visa run. So yesterday, my uh, my visa actually expired and uh, I was vacillating about like, should I go to just do a quick holiday, which I really not inclined to do. I want to be in my house. Um, so I put out a word in a little private WhatsApp group that I need to get over the border, get my passport stamped, if need be, pay a bribe and come right back. And within 30 minutes... <laughs> My team of epic black women um, sent me links to drivers that could take me over one of the borders, be it Botswana or Lesotho or Swaziland. Lo and behold, I decided on Swaziland because it's basically one of the closest borders. Um, One of the (laughs) keen insights that I got, if you ever in a jam in the Southern Africa region, is you offer a person a cold drink. And that's like low-key codified language for you want this bribe or not. Lo and behold, I made it. We drove to Swaziland, got there in about four hours, lingered across the border for about 30 minutes, and then I walked back uh, into South Africa. And then 
we drove back to Johannesburg and I didn't even have to pay a bribe. Let's get into... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Singer Akon announced the finalization of his agreement for Akon City in Senegal. The city will include an airport, solar power, and its very own cryptocurrency. It's a deal with SAPCO, Senegal's state-owned tourism company, and will house a complex in the seaside village of Embodian. A spokesman for SAPCO said that ACOM plans to build a sustainable tourism village that would campaign for the environment. Akon is out here making major moves. He has Akon Light, which provides electricity to 600 million people in Africa, a coin, his cryptocurrency, and now Akon City. He is not playing about the legacy of his namesake. It kind of reminds me how George Foreman named all of his five sons George. But anyway, his sister happens to be the backbone of all of his businesses. She's a fellow black broad abroad. Her name is Kati. I need to get her on this show. But anyway, Africa is lit lit right now. It's always been lit. There's so many opportunities. Congratulations to Akon. In other news, y'all niggas that gave your DNA to 23andMe might have precipitated the next Tuskegee experiment. I jest, not really. 23andMe, you know, the DNA kit company, has sold the rights to develop a drug based on its user's DNA. Henrietta Lacks is probably turning in her grave right now. Aside from the potential nefarious implications, they've collected over 10 million people's biological matter and have sold it for $300 million. Y'all better start reading the fine print. Well, Cory Booker has dropped out of the presidential race after failing to qualify for the white-as-fuck Democratic debate on Tuesday. In an email to his supporters on Monday, Booker said, It was a difficult decision to make, but I got in this race to win, and I've always said I wouldn't continue if there was no longer a path to victory. He went on to say, Our campaign has reached the point where we need more money to scale up and continue building a campaign that can win. I do wonder like where all the money uh, goes that was raised when political candidates exit a race. It's too bad. I really liked Corey. He ran a clean and upstanding campaign. I wonder will Rosario Dawson also resign as his beard. And stay in your lane, stop swerving news. Cardi B announced on Twitter that she was interested in running for political office. Uh, no. Y'all's president has emboldened reality stars with political delusions of grandeur. It's great to see celebs with a platform wanting to be politically engaged, but uh, even though I don't live in the U.S. anymore, it's a hard pass for me. Well, I know this is not serious news, but just bear with me. I have a PSA for all of the aunties. So Lori Harvey, Steve Harvey's daughter, um, celebrated a birthday this week with her boyfriend Future in Jamaica. And I saw the internets, more specifically black women, going all the way in on this young girl. Her dating prowess, like, what the hell are you supposed to do when you're 23 years old and fine as frog hair with famous rich men fawning all over you? You explore your options. That's what you do. You test your boundaries to know what they are. Y'all don't know if she's having sex with all of these men. Are y'all really just mad because your options are not as robust?
and you half a century in the game still mismanaging your pussy with suckers, knock it off. This hate of pretty women has got to stop. It's like pretty woman shaming and hating. Quit hating on her mammy too. And that's my PSA today. Capricorn season has come to an end. Shout out to all the Capricorns. We the greatest of all time. And Michelle Obama, our forever first lady, celebrated her birthday. Can we just take a moment to celebrate our forever first lady's glow up? She got up out the White House, let go of them kitten heels, and traded them in for some bust-down Balenciaga boots. She out here getting her whole entire life and is all the better for it. Before I go, my friend wanted me to tell y'all something. Y'all, I need to come on here and say this. I feel like somebody needed to hear it. So if it doesn't pertain to you, just keep scrolling. That tree that you got in your living room? Take that shit down. That's it for this week's. Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Stick around for my interview with my very good friend and fellow Black Broad Abroad, Anastasia Hayes, who I met while I was living in Doha, Qatar. She'll share her expat experience about how her and her family made the move from Atlanta to the Middle East. Stay tuned. Anastasia Hayes is a former IT project manager, business consultant, and instructor who before becoming a corporate America dropout worked for Fortune 500 companies such as American Express, TransUnion, and Macy's Inc. Anastasia earned a Bachelor's of Science degree in Computer Information Systems from Florida A&M University, HBCU, and after gaining valuable experience in the IT field, she went on to obtain her MBA. Despite her professional achievements, she knew early on that she would not be able to fulfill her dreams of living abroad and traveling the world by maintaining the status quo. So in 2012, Anastasia and her husband packed their bags and set off to realize the dream. During her three and a half years of living abroad, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and traveled to a host of countries and blogged about these experiences via her blog, My Beautiful Expat Life. Anastasia currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her family and is participating in a food startup accelerator program preparing for the launch of her plant-based food company. Welcome, Anastasia. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be interviewing. I mean, you my girl, but I'm still so honored to be, <laughs> <laughs> to be interviewing you. I have to give the backstory on how we met. So... I had just moved to Doha, Qatar, probably like two months before I met you. And it was a coffee bean um, at the organization that um, your husband and I worked for. And I was just kind of admiring you from afar. I was like, ooh, who is that? Who is that lady? She fly. And then she had a, a Marcus Garvey book. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I fuck with her the long way. <laughs> and so, exactly. <laughs> And so we hit it off ever since. So I'm so happy to have you as a guest. I'm going to get happy to be here. I'm I'm going to get right into the interview because what I find so amazing is that you and your husband moved to Qatar together and you started your family there. So how did you guys even arrive at the decision to move to Doha? And had you even heard of Qatar before you moved there? So um, we we love to travel, right? And we felt like to be able to travel um, like we wanted to, we probably should, you know, think about moving abroad. And it's something that I always knew, like growing up, I knew I wanted to live in another country, um, didn't know where. Um, And so 
we just got to a point where we were completely disillusioned with the American dream <laughs> and it was just time. Like it was, it was time to go. And so it's funny because we had our sights set on Dubai mm. and I mean like all of our search efforts were Dubai, Dubai, Dubai. I was, um, like you said in, in my intro, I was an IT project manager. So I felt like, Oh, I could get a job there easily. Um, and lo and behold, he gets an email and it's from Doha, Qatar. Now I had heard of Qatar, but I did not know where it was in the region. And so we quickly looked it up and we were like, okay, this is great. Wealthiest <laughs> so country in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very great. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, that's how we landed on um, um, Doha. So he worked for, um, he ended up working for Texas A&M University. They have a campus there, full campus, um, as well as uh, six other American universities, Georgetown, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell. Um, and it's all housed in a location called Education City. And it's amazing. Like, it's just, yeah, it's an amazing place. So, okay, there's so much propaganda in the media about the Middle East being repressive, dangerous, or like otherwise a very rigid place to live. Had you heard those things before moving and did you buy into any of that thinking beforehand? I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, yeah, so I had heard the, the propaganda and um, I, don't, I don't buy into that. I never have. Um, I kind of grew up raised like that. You know what I mean? So um, while I had heard it, I definitely did not believe it. Um, and I just want to say this, like when people are thinking about the Middle East, the region, um there's there's so much to there's not a lot to go on other than what you've been you know shown in the media and you know american news and i want to say that qatar is consistently ranked uh, and i tell this they'll tell this to people all the time it's consistently ranked in the top 10 of the safest places um to live countries to live in and Absolutely. Going you in, go, I, you, I pardon me, but I remember because you used to go running along the Corniche any time of night. So as a listen, woman, every night, four days a week, you would find me on the Corniche, <laughs> eleven o'clock at night, after you know the baby, you know Miguel was with the baby, and I would go out there and run, and it would be families. Um, I never felt there's no place in the U.S. I would run eleven o'clock at night by myself. Okay. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> um, but I did this all the time because that's how safe it was, like, or it is. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so safe. Um, like, one of the things, Whitney and I, you know Whitney, we were joking one day about, uh, right. we came back, to, this is in Dubai, but, the, you know, the regions are similar. She, she came to our, we came back to our house one day after we went out, and, like, the place was like, okay, somebody's been in here, and it was clean. Like, those are the kind of break-ins that happen. The wrong cleaning lady right. came into her house and cleaned her house. <laughs> those, right. Those are the kind of break-ins that happen. Right. <laughs> like, in a real right. way. So, yeah. okay. No, it, it's so funny because I can't tell you. There were several times Miguel would come in the house with bags or whatever, and we would wake up the next morning. I kid you not. And the door, the keys to the door would be in the door. <laughs> 
Same. And I didn't even like I I was I was just like, oh, you left the keys in the door. And he's like, oh, okay. And never in a million years no. <laughs> would I feel that way, you know, living here. So yeah, it's it's safe. It's totally safe. Yeah, I mean, I felt completely safe. Just even as a single woman, I felt um, completely safe. Walking around the Pearl at two or three in the morning, it was like no big deal. So, right. okay, you and your husband actually started your family in Qatar, and you have you had your baby girl Can while you guys were there. And what the what the what was that experience like? Experiencing childbirth in Qatar versus having your second child in the United States. Yeah, so I actually found out I was we were pregnant two weeks before we left. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got the question, so are you going to stay here until you have the baby? And, of course, I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a great experience. I had a very difficult pregnancy, um, and I ended up actually having Kay in early. So she was a preemie, so she had to stay in the hospital. But, and I also, the last month and a half was on um, bed rest. So I was, you know, hospitalized and on bed rest. And it was, I mean, the whole, the hospital, it was like, you know, being in a hotel room. It was, you know, I had my own room and it was, it was pleasant. I had, I have no complaints. Um, even there was a time where it was touch and go and I had to be transferred from the hospital that I was in to um, a public hospital. And so I was there for like, or four days before, you know, going back to the private hospital that I was in. And that experience, you know, of course, I didn't have to pay anything because um, it's free healthcare, <laughs> right? When I was in the public <laughs> hospital. And then, of course, his, our insurance company covered me um, at the other hospital. But both experiences were, you know, great. And um, comparing that to my second birth, uh, when I came back with my second daughter, it's, 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 it was different. And I had a great experience with my birth here in the US, but I just want to let everybody know, like the insurance companies control everything that you will or will not get here in the US. And it's just not like that. Like I felt like I was in control more in Qatar. Like if I wanted an ultrasound, I would get like I wasn't told that I could only have two or three. Um, so that's the for me, that was the main um, different. I had more control in Qatar. Yeah. On the subject of health insurance, I had, um, I had to get, uh, my fibroids removed. I had to get a myomectomy there. And obviously like, you know, my job offered great health insurance, but my doctor was out of network. And so, um, by default, we also had state insurance, which is given to every resident in the country. And when I tell you, first of all, my doctor was a sister, um, out of John Hopkins. And when I had my surgery, I was in the hospital for, I think, three or four days. I paid nothing. The only thing I paid was $25 a day to stay in the hospital. And when I left with my prescriptions and all of my pain meds, I mean, my prescriptions might have been like $15 or $20 at the absolute most. So, yeah, Yeah. the the health insurance system in other countries, the United States has to get it all the way together. 
So uh, exactly. one of the things, like when I met your daughter, <laughs> she reminds me of Maggie. She's so she's so observant, <laughs> and she only used to speak when it was absolutely necessary. But I was so impressed that she also spoke French. So you guys had her in a French school while you were there, and I wanted to see if you could just elaborate a bit about what was the schooling and childcare like for your daughter in Qatar. Yeah, so she, so the first 18 months she stayed home with me, right? And then we started researching nurseries and touring nurseries and we landed on a French nursery. And let me just say this, like schooling in Doha, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, like it's amazing because you have a lot of international schools, right? And for us, we landed on a French nursery um, and the name is uh, Patipa. And we initially enrolled her part-time because they had a waiting list. And so um, once she got in full-time, we put her in the French program. So everything, her instruction, um, she even, she used to get report cards. They were all in French. <laughs> so um, you were learning and, French by default too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was. And so, but they had instructed me not to speak French to her at home because of course, I'm learning and I don't, you know, know how to say things correctly. And yeah, so it was, um, it was a great experience. And it's so interesting because when we came back, we had so much happening when we came back, but um, this summer she's going to be um, enrolling in a summer camp. So, and learning French, oh, relearning. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great experience. Most of the students were multilingual, um, if not all. And a lot As of her most classmates people are like, outside of the United right, States. Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't stress that enough. And, um, you know, they were from like Lebanon, Morocco, like all over. But um, yeah, it was a great experience. Okay. So, like the naysayers, naysayers always lament about how could you move to a place where you don't even know anybody and, like, especially a new country and a continent? Um, being married kind of makes that process a bit easier, but can you speak a little bit more about how you formed community when you got to Qatar? Yeah, so I was adamant. It's so funny because Miguel and I still talk about this. I was adamant about not forming a community full of American expats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it, no, there are many people, by default. but I just did not... <laughs> What did you say? I said, me too, but it happened by default. <laughs> no, it did. And that's great. But I, I just, I, for me, it was like, I want to be open, right? Like, I just don't want to do what's familiar. So if I meet American expats, that's great. But I'm just not going to narrow, you know, my focus on like being with people who have, you know, a similar story as mine. Like, I want to meet people from all over the world. And so for um, me, because I extended myself, that's exactly what happened, right? So not only did I meet amazing people, um, expats, you know, um, from America, but I met people from Nigeria and the UK and Australia, like all over. So it was, it ended up being like a community that just, I loved. Um, and, you know, like the get togethers we had and yeah, it was just, it was it was amazing. Yeah, that's one thing about Qatar um, and just the region in general, the Middle Eastern region in general. They outsource most of their human resources. Um, yes. So um, actually, Qataris are not even the leading population. I think it's Indians are actually the number one population. Right. But there's yeah. so many um, Western 
expats that are in um, professional positions, like any, any profession you could possibly imagine. I met black architects, black doctors, black doctors, black contractors, black marketing professionals. It just ran the gamut. Okay. So a little bit of humble brag because I mentioned earlier, Qatar is the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, Macau is catching up though. And like the lifestyle is, (laughs) lifestyle is just so different. And Arab money is just so different. They act, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> they behave like <laughs> with new money. I'm not even going yeah. old, y'all. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's so true. Okay. Yeah. Because you let the people know what living in Qatar was really hitting for and like what were some of the luxuries that you got to experience? Um, it was definitely hidden. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, my, so Miguel's employer definitely set the standard in terms of, you know, compensation packages, right? And um, while we were there, we lived in, um, first you guys lived, lived in, in Alfredan Towers. Well, I remember when you guys lived in Alfredan Towers, that's when I met you. So that was the second place. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we had specified that we wanted to live in the city, but when we got there, nothing was available. So they put us out in the burbs, right? Oh, <laughs> and you guys I'm like just not, or something? So we were out by um we were out by the mall. Um oh what's the name of the mall? The luxury mall with Oh, I know what you're uh, talking about. In garage. Yeah. So yeah, yes, yes, yes. And so it was of course, they were like, as soon as something comes available, becomes available, we'll move you. But I was sick. So I literally, we were in a five-bedroom house. Um, <laughs> two living Pregnant. rooms. Pregnant in a five-bedroom yes. villa. Listen. Two people. <laughs> two living rooms, upstairs, downstairs, maid's quarter. Like, it was huge. And when I got really sick, I was so dehydrated. I couldn't, like, Miguel would have to carry me down the stairs to take me to the doctor. Like, it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so what ended up happening was we were there for, like, I want to say six months, maybe five months. I'm not sure. But it was all a blur to me because I was really sick. Um, And then we moved to Alfredon Towers, which is right on, um, right off of the Corniche, right on the Gulf. So you have a view. It was huge, too, but it was you were there. Like, it was nice. I, I loved it. We had, um, we had a doorman, like he would bring up the groceries. I, it was great. Upstairs, we had Girl on Spa, which is um, a French brand, a luxury spa. So I could go upstairs and, you know, get a massage or workout. Um, and the spas yeah, are gender Africa. segregated, which I really appreciate. Actually. Yes, I miss gender exactly. Sometimes. Yes. Then the third yeah. place, that place. Oh, man. Lit. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, that, okay, can I just set the scene, actually? When set, I the first, scene, set the scene, please. Because when I first met, like, so when I first got to Doha, they put me up in a hotel, and then I had staff accommodations. Um, but I was like, well, I would just rather take the housing allowance. And I was seeing how, like, you know, the Blacks, professional Blacks was living out there. The first place I came to where you guys were at Alfred and I was like, oh, my goodness. It was like the the windows had to be, like, 20 feet, like, 360 views of the Corniche and the Bay. 
And then yeah. when you guys moved to the Pearl, I was like, okay, this is where I'm taking my house and allowance and moving <laughs> because that place was so lit. The Pearl for you guys that don't know is the uh, right. exclusive island. Uh, is Janet Jackson had some property there. It's a, an exclusive yes. island there. Man-made. Man-made, beautiful. Yeah. And I believe that place was like three stories. It had marble it columns. It was <laughs> humongous. Like, oh my goodness. It was so big. It was so, <laughs> it was, it was, and it was brand new. I don't know if you know, but it was, it was brand new. It had three, no, it had two, so we had like a courtyard out front, and then on the third level we had um, a patio upstairs, terrace. Um, it the backyard, so to speak, was a luxury yacht uh, yard. Um, it had amazing views. Yeah, it was just I, that one was five bedrooms, including the maid quarter, maid's quarter, two living rooms. We had a party there. Remember, we had the um, Aaron's away, away party. party. Our, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. I, oh. I really loved that. And that Thanksgiving dinner was there too. I think that was my first time coming. Oh, that, place right. was, that place was yeah. lit. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I mean, any black professionals that are looking to work in their reach. Okay, the remuneration packages are great. The gravy train is like, you know, getting to be a little bit less. When you were there, like, yes. <laughs> in the early it years. Huh. Yeah, let, let, <laughs> let me say this. They have um, they have cut back because Miguel Miguel has gotten other offers, and we're just like, eh. wow. <laughs> yeah, like it is. We were there when it was. Yeah, the getting there, was good. There was a it, the getting was still good when I was there, but it was diminishing. But it's, I mean, yeah. granted the options of what your remuneration package is in the U.S. I mean, your housing's paid for, your, That's what I was your about furniture to say. allowance, you have a transportation allowance. I opted yes. not to get a car my first few years there. I had a driver and like an idiot, you know, I was walking around being there for so long thinking I was an Arab girl. I went and dropped a bag on a Range Rover supercharged Vogue <laughs> and didn't even have a driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so let's see. I thought I was Arab for a minute, child. Right for a hot second. Right. But it was. I, yeah. I miss that place so much. The yeah. the luxuries and just the lifestyle. But you yeah. know, for me. Too, and let me say this. Yeah, ahead. let me say this. It's it's also um, when you're looking at these packages. I still tell people. Like I get people even now. Like we tried. We were trying to back then, and even now. Just go. Like, you just never know who you're going to meet and what's going, how everything is going to play out. And you may start in one area and before you know it, like that contract may be up and you may roll into something where it is paying more or your benefits are better. But just the experience, right? Like, yeah, just yeah. honestly, it could have been half of what we had and I still would have gone. Because for me, it was more about getting out of the country and doing something different. Yeah, absolutely. So, just and, go. You know, towards the end, I tell people, people have always ask me, like, why would I have left, like, on my own volition? 
and it was it was absolutely amazing but you know towards the end it started feeling like i was trapped in a palace <laughs> and there are worse uh, places to be yeah. trapped <laughs> i know that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel trapped nowhere. And then it just got right. super comfortable and comfort zones began to scare me. Like, yeah, when yeah. I'm too comfortable, it starts to get a little bit scary. So, all right, fast forward a little bit. You guys moved back to the U.S. Was it 26? You said 2015 or 2016? It was 2015. Okay. Yeah, so 2015. There is this thing... I like to call reverse culture shock and it is a real thing. So when you guys returned to America, how did you actually adjust and do you plan on leaving again? Oh, Felina, it was so hard. It was, <laughs> it was still really adjusting. hard. So I am. <laughs> <laughs> Expatriating was so easy for me like I would there was no culture shock when I went over there but coming back so when we came back we came back to Atlanta and then I found out I was pregnant <laughs> <laughs> that's always and the then, so because we were chill we were just like okay what are we gonna do because we his contract um ended and we weren't expecting to come back but um it ended and it wasn't renewed so we can't we 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 found ourselves back here um, I did not want to come back, but I was pregnant. I got pregnant and then I was sick again, mm. another typical pregnancy. Aww. And so I was dealing with that. Right. And then once I had my baby girl, Zuri, um, that's when it all kind of kicked in. Like, I don't want to be here, period. Like I was, it was so bad. One day Miguel came to me and he was like, Anastasia, we're back. We're not going back anytime soon. Unless I get another offer, like something comes in, like deal with it. And I needed that. Like I absolutely needed that. It kind of like, okay, let's, you know, you love Atlanta. You love being here. It's, you know, this is the city you, if you're going to be anywhere in the U.S., it's Atlanta. So yeah, it, but it was, and it wasn't because of, just because of the lifestyle. For me, it, well, I should say the luxuries. For me, it was, I felt alive. Like, that's why I love to travel. Like, people like, oh, you know, the whole process of traveling, like the, the airport, going places, living somewhere is totally different than traveling somewhere, right? Oh, and so for is. me, in, yeah. <laughs> for me in Doha, every day was exciting and new, right? And it, I didn't feel like I was on this. I was in this rat race. I didn't feel like I was that perpetual striving for, you know, I, I, it was just, I don't know. I wasn't comfortable in Doha because I wanted to, I aspired to, you know, start my company there and do different things. But it was just being in a different place where the value of family was first. And so I had a yeah, yeah, there's a huge emphasis on family values and the goal. Exactly. So coming back here, like Miguel, even now, Miguel and I are like, we work hard to make sure that our family is first. And so it's harder here. It's harder to do that here. And so, um, will I go, will I ever go back? Absolutely. Not to, I'm not interested in necessarily going back to Qatar. 
I definitely want to go somewhere else. We've, we were, I'm looking at <laughs> um, Ghana. Hmm. And um, I want to come visit you. I want to come to Joburg. I want to come yeah. to Johannesburg. Open door policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely open. Our girls are seven and three now. Um, and they, they're like their mom. They're like their father, their baba. They love to travel. And so I know, you know, I think it's a good time when they're young to, you know, put them in different environments and to live somewhere else. Um, so yeah, like I'm totally open to it and, and I'm believing it to happen. So, so you thinking the next stop is Africa. We'll be on, at least we'll be on the same continent again. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So you started a blog when you were in Qatar called my beautiful expat life. And I mean, I just remember like you guys with vacation, I would see your pictures and uh, gins and all the fabulous places that you guys went. One of the things that people should know is that when you leave the United States, the cost of travel exponentially decreases. <laughs> exponentially. Absolutely. Yeah. So where, where are some of the, um, the places that you got to travel to while you were in the reach? Oh, I should also point out, one of the great things about living in Qatar and that Gulf region is, is that it's the axis of Asia, Africa, and Europe. So you could basically get yes. to any three of those continents in like, you know, four or five hours. But where, where are some of the places that you guys got to vacation while you were there? Uh, I'm going to start with the Maldives. Oh. <laughs> and I went there twice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the first time when it was time to leave, I actually cried. I, I cried. Like it was, yeah, that powerful. Like that place is absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, we went to Rome and so, um, as well as Florence, Italy, mm. Istanbul, Turkey. Um, Miguel went to Thailand. I did not take that trip because Kane was really young. Um, as well as Spain, Amsterdam, um, Gent which is in Belgium, Brussels, Paris. Um, you really like Spain. It's, I, remember, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, did. yeah. I remember seeing was, when the really baby in the stroller and in one of the pictures on there. I walked that whole, when I tell you I walk, cause I'm a, so when I travel, I am, I want to immerse myself in like the culture, right. And the people and the food. And I kind of don't do like the touristy spots. Like I will, I'll I seek out like where do the locals go like how do they live and so yeah when I was in 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 Gen, I walked one day for like eight hours straight it was oh insane. wow yeah um, like well it was crazy you and yeah you and your husband are both like fitness gurus which I like the couple that works out together <laughs> stays together <laughs> both of y'all bodies <laughs> off fleek Oh, Rhea. Oh, thank <laughs> you. That, your, girl. That is yeah. stupendous, too. <laughs> I'm trying. I just, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> and so, like, going to those places, I just kind of want to give people, like, a picture. Like, it's so inexpensive. Like, I've seen flights yes. to Saudis, like, last minute. You could go for, like, four or five hundred bucks. Like, the, the costs are not um, very prohibitive to to go right I, I miss actually before the um before, oh do you remember was that you that had that experience in dubai and um somebody was like buying out the bar at some club and you asked what his name was 
and his, he was like, Narcisco, was that you? No. no. Somebody was in Dubai and uh-huh. um, um, like I said, dude is like buying out the bar and like, what's your name? And he was like, oh, Narcisco. And the person was like jokingly like, like Narcisco Rodriguez. He was like, yeah, it was the designer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Narcisco> Rodriguez. <laughs> Right. So this show is obviously about inspiring um, black women to to take to take risk. And those that are interested in embarking upon an expat journey, like what would you what advice would you give about stepping out of your comfort zone? I'll say this. Nothing great is going to happen until you step out of your comfort zone. And that's just how I look at it. Like, do your research. But, I mean, at the end of the day, just do it. Like, see where you, you know, some places you're interested in. Talk to people who have done it. Um, I actually didn't talk to anyone. Like, we decided that we were moving out of the country. And we got serious about it. We talked about it, like, one year. I think it was, like, you know, 2010 or whatever. And I applied to a few things. And then the next year, um, we were like, no, let's do this. And I think we had that conversation in October of that year. And December, I remember the day, December the 6th is when he got the email from Texas A&M. Oh, it's right before your birthday. January. Yeah. Right. January was... Um, the end of January, I think we took our first flight over there. First class, you know, it was amazing. That's when they was giving out and those first class um, yes, <laughs> flights. Still yeah. have my, I still have my PJs. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so we, he got the offer, like I think they extended the offer that March or April, and we were there in June, the 1st of June. So it happened that fast. So fast, yeah. You know what I actually wanted yeah. to ask you? Um, it was regarding childcare because um, a lot of people, like it's customary to have a nanny. Like, uh, and when I tell people how much like my friends with live-ins actually pay, like how much, tell the people how much it costs to actually have live-in help or just to a part-time nanny. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's not expensive. It's, it's really not. And we had a live-in, when I was put on bed rest the first time, we had someone come and stay with us. And it was, she, you know, she stayed Monday through Friday because of course Miguel was at work. So she cooked for me and all that. And I can't remember exactly how much we paid her, but I know it was above like the standard, the standard, because I just felt like the standard was terrible. Like there is no way I'm going to employ people and pay them like $500 a month. Like it was, yeah, it was, it was bad. And that's not even the standard because (laughs) the standard was really around like 400 a month. it 400 a month yeah they were they yeah. were like the, the nannies and the helpers they were always uh uh happy to have like western families because they, they family right enumerated them a bit better absolutely and so we had a nanny too but we had a part-time nanny so she did not live with us mm-hmm. um she actually was um worked at another nursery and um we still talk with nami we love her so much um oh. but yeah it's it's um it's very affordable so it's not like one of those things like you know in the states 
<laughs> it can run you, you know, thousands of dollars. And, yeah, like and a live-in is, live is easily about 48 grand a year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, you yeah. know, a few of my friends were paying about $600 a month for their live-in. Yeah. And um, yeah. they get home every year. Okay. Yes. So good stuff is happening in your life. I'm so proud of you. You were recently accepted to um, a food accelerator in the Atlanta area. And yes. you have uh, a company called Plant-Based Ology. This, when I tell you this woman's plant-based meals are so on point, <laughs> um, look, I am a carnivore, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I enjoy your food so much. So could you tell us a Thank little you. bit about the projects that you're working on now? Yeah, so I, um, just a little background. I also went to um, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and yeah. finished a year-long nutrition program um, back in 2011, like right before I got ready to move abroad. And um, so I just, that was kind of like the background, like me, you know, finding out because I always tell people we're all on the diet, right? Because the mm -hmm. diet is what you habitually consume. Mm -hmm. So I just knew like I was always thought I was healthy and I just wanted to explore other areas. And so I went that kind of like set the, the 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 framework for me transitioning and going um hundred percent plant based. Mm -hmm. And I was doing I had this hobby. I was I love to cook. Let me just say that. And so I was um, cooking and I had my second daughter um, at the time who was home with me and I went to a potluck and I brought you know like some of my food that I, I make and my friends were like oh you need to do a meal prep plant-based and I was like ah, I don't think so two weeks later I'm doing it um, and I wasn't advertising or anything it was just word of mouth and I ended up getting to like 10 clients and it was that was a lot because I was in my kitchen and I had you know a baby and um, everybody was just raving about it, but it was a lot of work. And I realized then that as much as I love cooking, I just like cooking for friends and family. But all of my sauces and my dressings and I make mayo were from scratch and they were 100% plant-based and good for you. Um, so I am taking that um, into the food accelerator and coming soon will be, you know, 100% plant-based products, condiments. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So, you know, I told I tell you all the time, every Thanksgiving, I think about you because that cranberry <laughs> <Yeah>. sauce made. <laughs> oh, that oh, that bourbon vanilla cranberry sauce. Yeah. Ooh, just the bourbon vanilla cranberry sauce shot. It was hitting up. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. where can the people find out more about plant-based allergy? And can you give out your social media handles? Yes. Yeah, so on IG, which is the only platform that I'm really active on. Um, it's at plant-based-ology, all one word. Um, also, you can um, go to the website right now. Um, I have a coming soon page. Um, and it is, of course, .plantbasedology.com. Um, so, yeah, they can go there and see my posts of all the things that wonderful things that I'm making and for the updates when we launch. 
Well, congratulations. I know big things are coming. I can't wait to link back up with you on the continent, girl. I know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Felina. Thanks All so right. Much. Have a good evening. You do, you do the same. Bye. Nothing I snorted, nothing I drank, no man I did, no one did me, nothing did me any good. Oh, Lord, even that food, the food, the food I put in my mouth would help. Remember you in prayer. Anyone else have a word from the Lord, a testimony? Of God's goodness. I have a word from the Lord brought to you by the sage advice offered to me by no other than the big OG Crip, my very own daddy. And that message is don't look down unless it's money on the ground, period. So 2019 almost took me all the way out. Like casket clothes, it's a wrap in a very real way. And while I joke and jest a lot, I was so depressed and fully immersed in sorrow for about nine months. Like I could literally not even get out of the bed. And I'm gonna share something very personal and it's not for sympathy, it's something I rarely do, but this is to remind you to push through. So I endured a devastating heartbreak which is some brand new shit for a G like me and it was with someone that I fully intended on spending my life with. I endured a violent attack, sustained a concussion, had my hair ripped out of my scalp, I was bald and this was the day before my graduation from a very prominent business accelerator that I was accepted to for my hair business. I've spent 90% of my life as a hetero woman, either married to or in a relationship with men and never encountered any kind of abuse. So to have a stud, a woman who I'd known for like eight years and act that kind of violence upon me just almost took me all the way out. So I was also simultaneously contending with the reverse culture shock of being back in the United States. And that in itself was inducing like real life panic attacks, a series of them. In addition to mourning, you know, my old life in the Middle East that I had walked away from. So lover gone, job gone. The only home I had was on an entirely different continent. So essentially I was homeless in the United States. My business took a hit, which means so did my money. Shit, I took a hit, literally. My confidence took a major hit. It was obliterated. I didn't think I was cute or capable of anything, which is completely uncharacteristic of my personality. Close friends fell off, uh, otherwise, you know, betrayed me. I was in the most sunken of places. So I went and stayed with my godmother in the South just so I could heal and get my mind together, which took much longer than I thought. But God and the friends that I have in my life that are not yes women 
that love me enough to get me all the way together. So my homegirl called me, it was on well, like October 9th, and she called me every day, but this day specifically, she called me and she had had enough of me wallowing and was like, bitch, you gotta get the fuck up out the South. You got a whole place in South Africa, lick your wounds, pull yourself together and get back at it. And of course, those are things that I knew intrinsically, but that gave me the permission that I needed to put my G-chin back up, put these 10 toes down and make a fucking plan, a real one. And so that same day, I called up my homeboy that works at Delta and I was like, get me a buddy pass post haste to Johannesburg. I started packing and I stumbled upon an old box with, um, with some journals in it. And so I just opened this journal. I'm a prolific journaler. Um, and I stumbled upon this journal and it was dated October 9th. 2011, which was um, eight years ago to the day, I really don't think that was a coincidence that God would have me go to that box, open that particular journal to the exact place that I was eight years ago. And I was basically just praising God for like giving me this life. At the time I was living in Rio de Janeiro and had walked away from everything that was familiar to me in the States. My husband, my job, same old story. But I had come out on the other end and was living my absolute best life. And that journal entry was the catalyst that I needed to take the next step to reclaim the wonderment of my life. So I say all this to say that when I stopped asking God, why me and what do you want me to learn instead and praising God in the storm for the pain that was put there to teach me a very specific lesson. And for me, that lesson was humility. I literally learned humility and empathy in a way that I never understood it before. And I'm now grateful for this, the pain that I endured last year. And I could, I could look back and praise God because I had basically been walking around on cloud nine, arrogant as fuck sometimes, not knowing how to treat people or talk to people, thinking nobody could tell me nothing with my six figures, deluxe apartment in the sky, rental property, luxury cars, all that bullshit, which means nothing at the end of the day because it can all be taken away. And God took it away from me. He was like, bitch, (laughs) be humble. But now after I got the lesson some nine months later, having gestated in that pain, all my blessings have started lining up again. Two weeks into 2020, I brokered a real estate deal, wire transfer hit, podcast launched. I'm back in my zone, but this time with a lot more humility. Got my G-chin up, 10 toes down, God first, and I'm not looking down unless it's money on the ground, period. And I encourage you to do the same. God bless.